Hi, dear garment gazers and cloth fondlers. Something a little different today. Not a fresh slice of gomology for your ears, but by way of something called a feed swap, I'm introducing you to a podcast called Check Your Thread, which is a podcast about sustainable sewing. Pretty compatible, I'd say. The idea of a feed swap is to introduce a podcast of a similar nature to a swapped listenership, so to speak, which helps both podcasts uh, reach new ears. And reaching new ears is something those of us who make podcasts really appreciate, and it's pretty hard. Now, the listeners of Check Your Thread have been enjoying an episode of Gomology this week, most specifically the Outdoor Gear Repair episode with Rosanna Watson of Snowdonia Gear Repair. Excellent comments and reviews, which is very gratifying, and if you haven't listened to it, you'd probably like to go back and listen to it. It's a couple of months ago, I guess. Now, you can listen on and hear Zoe, the host of Check Your Thread, chat with Rachel, the mysterious person known only as the crap activist. The caption for this episode is, Do you consider yourself a climate activist? If many of your everyday life decisions are made with the planet in mind, then you definitely should. Rachel, a.k.a. the crap activist, chose to fast-track her activism by making one positive change every single day for an entire year. And she shares her surprising wins and fails and gives tips on successfully bringing your family along for the ride. Now, as always, I really appreciate feedback. Easiest way is by email to welldressedad at gmail.com. I'd love it if you rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or rate on Spotify. Uh, Methods of giving feedback on podcasts are baffling and few. Um, Please follow or subscribe to get new episodes immediately in your app. Now, without further ado, let's go listen to uh, Check Your Thread and the Crap Activist. Hi and welcome to Check Your Thread, the podcast that will help you sew more sustainably. My name's Zoe and I'm obsessed with sewing. I've been blogging about it for over 14 years and I'm the creator and host of the popular handmade wardrobe challenge, Me Made May. But like many people, I've become increasingly concerned about the climate crisis and the way that my lifestyle contributes to it. So in this podcast, I'll be nerding out about making clothes whilst exploring how to minimise the negative impact that it may have. I really hope you'll join me in this journey. So do you consider yourself a climate activist? If you try to make more sustainable choices in your everyday life, then I would argue that you should. Today, we investigate the idea of why and how we can make changes in our everyday lives in response to the big problems the planet is facing. Today's guest, Rachel, aka the crap activist, chose to fast track her activism by making one positive change every single day for an entire year. She shares her surprising wins and fails and gives tips on successfully bringing your family along for the ride so you can up your daily activism. I am enormously excited to bring this conversation to you. If you like your eco-activist inspiration with a large dose of positivity, optimism and self-deprecation with tons of lols, then following the crap activist on Instagram is essential. This wonderful and wide-ranging conversation goes into many of the ways that we can make a difference every single day. Rachel, aka The Crap Activist, shares how that we can all interpret the massive global problems we're currently facing and translate them into actions taken with our local, familial and personal spheres. Quick warning, if you're listening with kids or very sensitive folks, 
or are either of those types of people yourself, there are a few mildly blue words and gentle swearsies in this episode. But I promise that if slash when you do listen, you will enjoy this one greatly. Have fun. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for giving me some of your time. It's very funny to see your do, face. Do, is it... Is it like one of those weird things where, where like, you see a, a, a DJ that you've listened to on the radio for years and then you see them and you're yeah. like, oh, God, they don't look like I thought they were going to look. Is it a bit like that? Absolutely. It's lovely to see your face. Thank but you for showing it to me. Do I disappoint? I put some mascara on. I mean, do I look like, do I look like what you thought I would look like? Oh, good question. I thought you were a bobble hat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, I do actually take that off occasionally. <laughs> well, I'm very pleased that this is this is one of those opportunities. Um, so I understand that you do like a level of anonymity. So please feel free to answer my questions as directly or as vaguely as you feel you want to. So we have to start in the traditional checker thread way. Could you please tell us who you are, where you are, and what fills your days? I am the crap activist. Um, I'm in the Cambridgeshire borders, bordering with where. Uh, with we are literally on the cusp of Cambridgeshire, Essex, and Suffolk. Right. Um, they all kind of converge. All those three counties converge about a mile and a half down ah, the road. Ah, right. Have you always lived there? Uh, no. Originally, we both hail um, Carl and I from Kent. Oh. So, and and then we've kind of gone all over the place. So we've gone to Leeds, we've gone to Oxford, we've gone to London, but then we've been here for uh, about the last sort of 20 years. Right. And you've had your girls there? Had the girls here. And where we are now, we've lived here for probably about nine years. Right. And you're quite rural. We are, brilliantly. And then what? how do I fill my day? Um, well, we run... We run our own businesses. Our main business is uh, vintage and mid-century furniture. Um, so we restore and, yeah, sell second-hand furniture. Oh, I'm very... I was thinking, like, oh, she, she likes to be anonymous. I wonder if she works for Shell. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because I'm Banksy. Oh, right, OK. No, no, no. Um, no, I think it's just more um, I'm camera shy and it allows me to... Uh, it gives me a certain amount of freedom being anonymous. Um, and that's quite nice. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really fun. It's like you do have like a persona and you can project that in any way that you want. I, I, hopefully, hopefully it's, I mean, it is who I am. Yeah. But then I also quite like the fact that, yeah, I, I, I quite like it. And now I've created it. I, I you know, where do I, I can't backtrack. I'm there now. Yeah. Um, I can't do some big reveal, but that's okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with okay, that. Okay. Well, if you want to do an exclusive, let me know. <laughs> From <laughs> shell. Yeah. Crap activist revealed. <laughs> so, okay, so what marks you out as an activist and why are you a crap one? Because, well, an activist for me is somebody that is consciously taking action for change. Um, and I, I don't know what the di- dictionary uh, definition I love is, that. but that, that, would be, that would be my uh, definition. And crap because, as with so much of my life and the things I get myself into, I've got masses of enthusiasm, but actually very little patience and skill. So I I kind of went into this kind of crap activist thing, feeling really kind of gung-ho and enthusiastic about it, and, you know, let, let's change the world, family, but then sort of realising that there are, there are bits that I'm quite crap at. Uh, although I think over time I've probably got better and I, I definitely am better informed now. I make it my business to be a bit more informed right. about the things I wang on about. 
But certainly at the beginning, it was definitely, I really don't know what I'm doing here. I'm literally making up as I go along and being noisy about it. And so, yes, a, a bit crap. Amazing. So I can't remember if I discovered you via Instagram before you were on the Sustainable-ish podcast or after, but I'm going to thoroughly recommend that everybody listen to your episode of the Sustainable-ish podcast, which is number 87, because oh. it was such a good conversation. I think it's like my favourite episode. Oh, that's very kind. It was just so good. That was, a, that was, that was amazing, um, that opportunity that Jen gave me, because I, what an amazing person she is. Absolutely. And she was so key uh, on the journey that I've been on. I mean, literally, her book was a life changer for, for, for us. Um, and when I, when, when I sort of started the whole crap activist thing on the 1st of January 2020, uh, my birthday's on, on the 14th of January and I was given her book. It had just come out and, uh, Carl bought me her book. And that kind of put everything into perspective. And then that was the kind of the key thing that guided me uh, along the way. Well, let's, let's, let's get into your challenge. So you spent a year trying to do some form of action every day. Is that right? Yeah. So, why? (laughs) The the starting point for it was that Christmas, so this would be December 2019, um, I'd been listening uh, listening to another podcast, the Adam Buxton podcast i love that podcast it's one of my favorites oh it's great it's great i had a big old binge on it yesterday oh, actually catching up um but his the, the particular podcast he does a christmas a special christmas one with adam and joe and they were talking about tomorrow's world and they're about the same age as me and i remember tomorrow's world and tomorrow's world was um amazing because the future looked incredible and um it was really exciting so as a kid you would watch tomorrow's world so it was like a science-based program wasn't it talking about innovations and yeah but sort of family fan you know not heavy science family friendly kind of science yeah Uh, I think possibly on after top of the pops back in the day but you would watch tomorrow's world and the future seemed amazing and I can remember having that feeling when I was a kid I couldn't wait to grow up because everything was better in the future and then there was something about the conversation that they were having and probably where my head was at at that moment in time. And it, I was then thinking of my two kids and where they were at and how they were feeling about things. Yeah. And, you know, we've had some conversations about what was going on with the world. You know, they were starting to be, become a bit intrigued about sort of politics a little bit. So what kind of ages were they at that time? So at that time they would have been, so Scout would have been 16 and Sonny would have been 13, 14. Right. Yeah, so I started to think about them and what I felt they thought about their futures. And it was just so sad and just sort of so gloomy and um, negative and hopeless. Yeah, and then kind of ruminating on that a little bit over the Christmas period. By the time we then got to the new year, and I, I quite like the whole business of a new year for uh, a fresh start, and uh, I'm going to do this, and uh, the challenge of it all. Same. Uh, I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for all of that. I know it's not for everybody. No, I love it. I love I, it. I, yeah, I quite like all of that stuff. Um, so it just seemed like a really good way to start the new year. Right, come on, I'm going to do something every day. I'm going to try and do something that's different, that's better, that's more environmentally mindful, that's 
going to make me feel better um, about my kids' futures. Um, and so that's kind of that's kind of sort of how it all started. And then, as I said, there was sort of a, a lost 14 days at the beginning of the year where I didn't really know what I was doing. I think I went and bought some bars of soap, and that was a big triumph <laughs> over, um, over you know, a plastic bottle of pump-action soap. Um, and then got Jen's book, devoured that, and that was, you know, another kind of, source of inspiration and it, and it's also an incredible resource um and then it kind of felt that we were on our way and and then sort of I didn't really think that I I knew by proxy the family would end up getting embroiled but actually they all ended up being thoroughly absorbed by the whole thing as well yeah so it then felt very quickly like we were on this kind of collaborative journey yeah um so you're and a team. it was lovely yeah yeah, it was great. And it still feels that way, actually. Fantastic. So do you have a history of setting yourself bold challenges? Because that's quite a quick turnaround from like listening to the Adam and Joe podcast on Christmas Day to then setting yourself a year-long challenge two weeks later. Yeah, well, like I say, I'm, I mean, I, I'm very much defined by my um, sort of boundless enthusiasm and then not really thinking things through. Did you set up the Instagram account to, to keep yourself accountable or would you already had it before? Exactly that, exactly that. I needed somewhere where I could, I would feel obligated to go and say something every day. Clever. Um, and actually what then, what then ended up happening there, um, I wasn't really a very active Instagram user personally, but I quickly found that it was an incredible resource and it put me in touch with some incredible people and lots of ideas and then it became this wonderful positive sort of snowball yeah of oh I can do that and there's something there and there's something there and oh what a good idea we could try that we could apply that to our own lives and so it sort of ended up being this yeah fantastic resource and I still find it to be that actually do you um I, I do I do I mean I, I've learned some things along the way I I don't follow accounts that get me down I you know and I'm pretty proactive about about that it needs to be a kind of a hopeful and a positive thing for me but I still you know I still find it an incredible resource and way of sharing ideas talking to people connecting with people feeling like I'm not on my own yeah which I think is a common thing when you're sort of trying to make changes it's quite easy to feel isolated yeah um, and it's quite nice knowing that there's this network and this little world out there of these incredible people all doing these small things and that collectively, who knows, we might just make a big difference, yeah, you know? absolutely. I just had about a thousand things I wanted to say off the back of that. <laughs> so with Instagram, that is so clever that you kind of knew yourself enough to know that if there was some accountability that you could show up. Um, but also yeah. you have such a positive outlook. That's one of the things I so appreciate about your account is that you've, you're always approaching things with humour. You're always make you kind of, you don't shy away from like facts and the reality of the situation, but you always seem to kind of find like a positive and, or funny or both spin on current events. And it sounds like that you also, that's what you look for as well when you're kind of seeking inspiration. Yeah. So are there times when you do feel like just oh, really... I don't know deflated, deflated and terrified mm. yes totally um and and uh, absolutely and I get it gets talked about a lot that eco anxiety yeah. where I frequently get overwhelmed um with where we're at you know and then and then I and then I need to kind of um take stock of myself kind of withdraw a little bit right usually get outside um usually go and do something that's fairly instantly 
gratifying and makes me feel like I'm making an immediate difference. So litter picking, for example, is brilliant for that. You can literally go out for five minutes. There's a particular verge down here where tossers chuck their um, vape crap and Coca-Cola stuff. And I can go there and I can literally spend five minutes putting things in a bin bag and it feels like I've done something, I've taken some action, I've done something positive and just in doing that I've got some control back and I'm feeling better about the situation. Right. But you're absolutely right. I mean I'm I'm you know, I'm like any anyone, I get I do get overwhelmed with it all. It is quite gloomy. And I want to be positive and I want to always be hopeful. I also though don't want to be delusional. I don't know that I always get that balance right, but I do think I do think as a parent I have some responsibility to be positive and hopeful for my kids. I want them to feel hopeful and positive about, you know, the world that they're growing up in yeah. and see that change is coming and they've got a part to play in that and that all hope is, I believe, all hope is not lost. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like you've really given your kids a real sense of agency in that you said that they were kind of, you know, warmed the idea when you started, but then your family have fully got on board as you as you went and even took turns in kind of steering the ship, as it were, throughout the year. So it's really nice that you've modelled that they can have control, they can have agency, and that they can spread messages themselves as well. So do you have any advice for people who maybe want to start making some changes, maybe within the way that they and their family live their life, but they're a bit worried about the flack that they might get? Well, first of all, if, if the thought is in your head that, goodness, I think I should be doing a bit more, this is all a bit frightening, and uh, I feel I need to take some action, do it, take some action, start doing something right away. I would say that if you've got kids, there's a good chance that they will be, whatever their age actually, they will be feeling really anxious and worried about the climate crisis that's going on uh, already. Yeah. Um, they'll be talking about it at school. They'll be learning about it in their classes. A couple of years ago, the um, University of Bath um, did some research with young people about how they were feeling about the climate emergency. And it, it, it's awful stuff. It's, you know, over 60% of um, young people are feeling very worried or extremely worried about their future. 56% um, of young people think that humanity is doomed. You know, it, it's gloomy stuff. It's gloomy stuff. Chances are your kids are feeling anxious about it. So, for you to then say, come on, let's try and do something decisive. Let's start here and now. You know, let's let's have a think about what we think we could do as a family to start to make little differences. I would bet my last bottom dollar that they would be on board. I think that there's something to be said for taking small steps. I just sort of started off thinking, right, you know, let's let's do this, let's do that, let's let's sack off the Colgate toothpaste and all switch to toothpaste tablets, raw, um, and actually. Toothpaste tablets in my family's experience are really horrible. And uh, and so that wasn't going to work for us. But I think there's something to be said for going for the low-hanging fruit, uh, going for some easy wins. And there are some really easy things that you can do before you then start to tackle some of the, the bolder stuff. Because certainly on our journey, I found that there was a some of the things that we got to maybe at six months or nine months, and actually biggie for us was our first Christmas when we decided not to have a Christmas tree. If I'd started the year saying, by the way, kids, we're not going to have a Christmas tree come Christmas 2020, you know, they would have left home. So there is a, a degree of finding your own pace and taking things slowly. And as, as old habits die, because actually old habits do die easily, 
as old habits die, new ones come in, those new lifestyle habits get embedded, and then you can move on to, you know, some of the more challenging stuff. So what were the parameters you set yourself at the beginning? What, what was the definition of an action? It was, to be honest with you, Zoe, it was all quite small stuff. It was, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and litter pig. I'm not, I'm going to commit to not buying new for a year. Um, I, I did uh, not buy any new clothes in that year. Um, we're going to go, go and grow some stuff. We're going to go and try making some stuff. We're going to make bread. We're not going to buy ice anymore. We're not going to buy cucumbers because they come in plastic. So it was all these, all of these little yeah. things, but kind of cumulative things that, that gradually built up and on their own became part of this kind of growing change. And I think one of the things that um, you'd, you'd said um, in our chit-chat on email prior to this is, you know, do you, do you think it was easier or harder doing having that year during the, the pandemic? And I, actually, um, in a funny kind of way, I actually think it made it sort of easier because because life was kind of put on hold. Firstly, it was brilliant to have something positive and something to focus our minds and something that we could control yeah. when actually the world was going batshit crazy um, and nobody quite knew what was going to be happening next week. So it felt like we had this kind of little thing going on that was this really positive distraction. But actually also just on a practical level, because life was put on on pause, a lot of the kind of routines and social pressures that you might yeah. have... Uh, like oh there's a party so I've got to think about something to wear and you know oh I'll just buy something new for that or actually I'd love to have a go at maybe not dyeing my hair so often but I couldn't possibly do that because everyone knows me as blonde Rachel and you know what I mean things like that because that was such an extraordinary year lots of the pressure was sort of lifted off so actually it felt like quite a good time to make changes. So that's a really interesting point so you were in your familial bubble and you were on your kind of online bubble so what happened how did community play into it in terms of either during the pandemic or after when things were kind of opening up more and then you were seeing friends and wider family circle did you kind of make an announcement to them that this is you know I've made some changes or did anyone kind of pick up that some things were a bit different or did you have any was there any conversations that you felt you had to have there wasn't a need to kind of um to sort of do a big, right guys, we've changed, okay, (laughs) just so you know. Lots of my friends know that I'm the crap activist and they'll follow me and we have a little giggle about it. Um, and, And it's sort of the same with my wider family. I think probably my wider family who kind of know me perhaps thought that as we kind of went down this road, my my enthusiasm might wane a little bit. And actually, if anything, I think I've probably got more what, fierce and godly about it. Since the end of the it. year, you mean? Since the end of the year, and 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 it's a you know it's a constant work in progress, you know. And once you know stuff, you can't unknow it. It's not like you can dip sure. out of it. The, my wider family have been really great, actually, and they have. Not because I've been on at them, because that wouldn't be my style at all. But we we've got a little sub we've had a little sub family group that have done veganuary for the last couple of years. Um, we my mum and dad have been on their own kind of plastic free journey that that's probably started over the last few months. My mum stopped colouring her hair. You know all of these these little things that I can't take credit for. You know they're they they they're, they're doing it themselves, but. I, I like to think that it's that, you know, that ripple thing and you start to have these conversations and 
And then sort of friends, friends are really great. I mean, I, I do get the piss taken out of me, which is fine. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Um, but actually they're, you know, they're, they're in on it too and they're supportive and they're wonderful and yeah. that's great. Um, but I do think you have to be, um, you don't want to be that guy who is a crashing bore and sucks all the fun out of everything. But, but also, you know, I do think that it's really important that I'm open and that I talk about it and that we, we're not embarrassed by who we've become, you know, it, actually quite the opposite. I'm really, really proud of us and yeah. where we are now. You know, I, I, I don't really recognize, I'm embarrassed by the old me, uh, not the new me. Brilliant. So it's all been surprisingly positive. So speaking of surprises, what actions have you tried then that you found surprisingly difficult or surprisingly easy? For, for me, um, for me personally, um, the secondhand clothes thing is something that I just don't think I'm very good at. I've never been that person who has been able to kind of walk into a charity shop and, you know, find the most amazing thing. Uh, my, my daughters do, annoyingly, um, but that's never been me. And I also sort of get, you know, I, I, you, you walk into a, a second-hand clothes store and, you know, immediately um, I get sort of clammy and hot and I can't just handle the lack of order and I can't find anything and it's just all a bit much and a bit jumble saily and I just have to duck out that that's not me but on the flip side of that over the past couple of years I think that whole field has changed so much for someone like me I can go onto Vinted and put in exactly what I want to buy um, and it's either there or it's not there. Yeah, denim jacket, size 12, go. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. No messing, no nonsense, no having to go through rails and stuff. I think that's really changed over the last uh, couple of years. So I'm, I'm definitely getting there with my secondhand buying uh carl and the girls are completely on board with that um and they are really really good at it i'm not so good at it but i am absolutely getting there with it on a similar theme um if something breaks or if something needs fixing we will always well i say we carl will always look at secondhand he's just brilliant at it to the point where it sort of becomes it's become this challenge of i have to be able to solve this problem without buying something new and he's really good at that you know our running machine we have this running machine every now and again that'll go kaput and he's really you know he's like right i need a part but it's got to be second hand and i need to go and source yeah. that and it you know and then that sparks off this kind of little mini project yeah yeah how can i how can i sort this problem did out he have that you? kind of is, is that something that he had before your year of of activism yeah, for sure. I mean, he is inherently resourceful and handy, and I'm really thankful for that. Actually, the downside of it is, and the, and the, the 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 struggle that we have is that he wants to keep everything right. because he might need it one day. Right. You know, you never know when you might need three hundred hand cut bricks. You know, from an old house renovation that we literally moved to this house. 10 years ago and they're still in a pile in the garden but Zoe you never know when you might need those bricks so that's that's the struggle we have there because certainly since we've been on this journey I'm I'm much more we we should be we should simplify and we should declutter interesting yeah well that 
that brings up a, a really interesting point. And it's something that I do think that we should acknowledge is that there is a certain amount. I mean, when you decide to try and be more sustainable in, in your life, there is a certain inherent privilege in that, isn't there? Like you need to have space to collect lots of stuff. You need mm-hmm. to have the time to do the research. You need to have the money because some of the options are more expensive. You need For to sure. just have the, the sheer brain space. You need to have, it depends where you live, if you have any transport. I mean, you can, you know, you can try and get all your stuff on free cycle, but if you've got no way of collecting it, that's not an option. So I think there is a real kind of privilege aspect to it as well. And I think that's really important that a lot of us, completely myself included, have to constantly be reminded that it, a lot of these things that we're trying to do, it is because we can and not everybody yeah. can. So I think that that's really important. But I mean, can you think of any actions that you would say that pretty much anybody could have a go at? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that firstly, to acknowledge what you were sort of talking about, privilege I completely agree with you on that um, and I do try and be mindful of that in my posts actually the, the the biggest privilege I think that I have or we have as a family is or one of them is is time the nature of what we do the fact that we run uh, our own business means that we can create pockets of time to take some time out to go to the farm shop down the road and pick up plastic-free fruit and veg, as as one example. Um, And I completely acknowledge that we're really lucky uh, in that we can swing our lives in different ways to be able to do things that somebody else might not be able to do. Yeah, I completely agree. For example, I'm very lucky that I can find pockets of time to go to the charity shops and source a lot of my kids' clothes secondhand. And I know that if you've got five kids and a full-time job who don't have those pockets and and you do find yourself buying the stuff in the supermarket that's next to the apples exactly because actually you've just got to get tea on the table tonight and you've just got to get the kids in the bath and you've just got to get some clothing bought you know what I mean you've you've, you've got to the world's got to keep turning so yeah I completely acknowledge your uh, your point there about kind of privilege um the I think the biggest misnomer around starting to change your life is that there needs to be something big and dramatic and expensive that needs to happen in order for you to get going because actually a lot of the most sustainable things that you can do are about doing less so it's about driving the car less it's about eating less meat it's about eating less dairy it's about buying less clothes it's about mowing the lawn less it's actually about kind of dialing back and that, that's a really good place to start. So instead of thinking, what more can I let, what more can I bring in? What can I buy? What do I need to buy to start to make changes? Actually, the first, a lot of the mo- most sustainable things that you can do are about doing things less. That's, it can be zero spend, uh, or very low spend. You know, no food waste. We're going to do a meal plan. This is where I do get a bit boring, actually, but I'm, I'm such a, a, a fan of meal planning. And did you do meal planning before? your year no we didn't we were rubbish we used to throw so much crap away you know we would go to the supermarket and we would waft around oh should we get this and um and this is on a deal so let's buy 10 of them you know and and we would fill off we'd have that fridge of that american fridge of dreams bursting at the seams and a snack drawer yeah we we would be that family we were that family um and then of course half of it would be in you know in the compost bin or whatever we did have a compost bin but we'd go 
you know, because because we just hadn't thought it through. We meal plan really meticulously. And I think that you can save a boatload of cash doing that and you can save a boatload of food waste. Food waste is one of the biggest contributors to carbon emissions. Um, so just that one thing alone, if you just as a family think, I'm just going to address that one thing, you know, not worry about plastic, not worrying about the car for a bit. We're just going to focus on food waste. It's such a biggie. Absolutely fantastic. And you'll save yeah. money uh, as well. I do think that there are things like that that you can do. And to come back to your point about sort of money, yes, a lot of the a lot of the changes to more sustainable alternatives uh, come with a hefty price tag particularly clothes actually I mean if you look at sustainable brands some of them are really expensive um rightly so but they're really expensive it's how much clothes should cost yeah exactly right exactly right um but that's nevertheless a shocker when you're making a comparison to you know what, what what you've done before it's the same for garments though as you know when you I mean there is no such thing as sustainable fabric there's only more sustainable fabric so for example when you do start to kind of maybe you want to source something made from recycled fibers or organic cotton it's more expensive and it is a bit like yeah oh Exactly, exactly. But I think what, or certainly what our experience has been is as you progress through your own journey and as you learn things and become more informed and more savvy, you will find that you, so for us, a biggie was spending a lot of money on food. But because we now meal plan, we found that we save a lot of money on food and therefore we can justify actually if we need to go and buy a piece of clothing or whatever, actually we, you know, it balances out in the end. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's that buy less, buy better, isn't it? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And I think also there, to the point you've just made, I, I, so often there isn't a, a, a wrong... It's, it's not black and white, is it? It's not like this is the right way and this is the wrong way. Actually, it's so much about kind of grayscale um, in the middle and, and, and actually working out what the better option yeah. is um, kind of on that scale. Yeah. Um, so you might not buy your organic pasta at the refill store but what you can do is you can buy plastic free boxes of pasta at the supermarket now so that's kind of somewhere in the middle I think there are more options becoming available uh, and I do think that overall as you learn more and navigate your way through making better changes making more sustainable changes you realize that you can offset costs Mm. here and there and work a bit smarter yeah I think sometimes that that gray area that you just mentioned I think sometimes when there isn't like a right or a wrong I wonder if that's something that kind of puts some people off you know like I yeah I can't win for trying like why try you know yeah I mean cars are a really good example of that so one of the things that I don't feel that we've cracked even though we try hard is driving right you know we've, we've opted to live somewhere quite rural we're really off the beaten track there's no public transport here so we're reliant on our cars we we don't have a fully electric car we will have a fully electric car at some point but we don't have that yet we have a, a hybrid and I've had conversations with friends where you know, you, you you find yourself on the end of a conversation where someone's saying, yeah, but you, you know that what goes into kind of getting the lithium for the batteries is like worse than driving. A, and, and actually, firstly, that's not right. But um, you, so it isn't right, um, but it's better yeah. 
than driving a petrol car around. That is hard, that. Um, Yeah, because it's sort of, it's so big and it's so enormous. It sort of creates its own inertia, doesn't it? You know, it's it's so, how can I even make an impact? So I I just won't do anything. But I think the thing about the meal plan is that you can see the impact because you can see that you're spending less and you can see that there's less going in the bin. Like, that's a really clear win. On, on all yes, levels. exactly, and 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 it's really yeah. easy, and and actually, it's one of those things that this might sound a bit cheesy, but it can become a really nice kind of family thing that you do together. Right, kiddos, let's sit down. You know, what do we all fancy this week? Has anyone got any special requests? Yes, okay, we, we can chuck fajitas in the mix. Yes, we can have macaroni cheese. Yeah. You know, and and then everyone feels involved and and that they're owning it. Yeah, it's a really it's a positive example to show to your kids as well that you can take agency of of, of what you eat and you can be in control. And you can be in control of your budget as well because I think that financial education is something that we often don't really think about for our kids as well in that sense. And and, sure. and linking it from the very beginning with making more sustainable choices is is really powerful. Yeah. But speaking of food, lots of questions about food. Okay, first of all, I remember a while ago, and I haven't seen if there's any update, you were hoping to, because you live in, as you say, you live in quite a rural rural location, and there was a disused Uh phone box, wasn't there? And you were aiming to turn that into like a food pantry, is that right? (laughs) What happened? It was. Well, the phone box is still there. I'm not allowed to use it as a bit, yeah. Our lovely, but very opinionated local parish council felt that it was unsafe for it to be used it shouldn't it sort of use shouldn't be encouraged because of where it is and health and safety and you know the door the way it's set up the door kind of opens onto the road well it was allowed to be a phone box at one point like it was allowed to be used for the public don't even zoe don't even no actually do you know what a really funny thing it's quite a nice tale actually because it started with the phone box uh, and me saying, I'd re- it's just there. It's a lovely thing. It's an empty space that could be this shelter for this wonderful sort of community sort of swapping, you know, point. Um, in the summer, it could be used for veggies. In the winter, it could be used for, uh, well, who knows? I mean, you can go in all sorts yeah. of positive directions with an empty phone box. And uh, and I thought it was the best idea ever. I agree. Enthusiasm. Perhaps hadn't really thought it through. And they came back and sort of said, well, no, you can't do it for this reason, that reason. But anyway, I ended up kind of getting on in there with the parish council and then became their speed coordinator, which was brilliant. I've actually just stepped down from, from my duties um, because it's somebody else. You became a member now. of the parish council by accident. <laughs> well, I know. And so I, but, it, but it, it was sort of a lovely thing because I, you make these connections and you engage with people and it gave me a platform to wang on about how people need to, well, not only reduce their speed from a health and safety point of view, but also from an emissions point of view, because if you drive more slowly, your vehicle chucks out less horrible stuff. So actually, I got an opportunity. I didn't get my phone box, uh, although the phone box is still there opposite the house, but I did get an opportunity to uh, to spend two years talking about speed and cars and emissions and all of that. So in a funny sort of way, it kind of, worked it yeah yeah i think it's a happy ending i love that although i'm sure i'm sure they're quite relieved i'm now no longer the speed (laughs) (laughs) brilliant so so you were just talking then about how in the summer it could be full of veggies because it's one of my favorite subjects as well you like to grow some food you actually put some really i mean we were talking about how you do have a very kind of positive and, and humorous outlook in your instagram but you don't shy away from the realities 
So you had some really sobering statistics about how food production needs to increase over the next 25 years or so to feed the global population, Mm -hmm. but how it's actually predicted that food production will decrease due to climate change and soil degradation and stuff like that. So were those facts a motivator in you trying to grow your own food or was it something that you were trying to do previously or is there any link to those those facts and, and your motivations for what you're trying to do? Most definitely. We've dabbled in growing food for years before. Actually, Carla has always had something in the summertime. There's always been a courgette plant lurking somewhere. And um, so so that has always been a thing. But then since we've been doing on, on our crab activist family journey, we've really dialed it up. And with each spring we've ramped it up even more. We have had really, we have really high hopes for this growing season if we can just contain the sodding dog. But yeah, I mean, you, you read and hear stats like those that you've just said about kind of how those two things are so misaligned, the growing population and what it would take to feed that versus the impact of climate change. And they're so far apart that Um, it's hard to see how on earth that can be reconciled. And it's overwhelming to try and think about how on earth that can be reconciled. So in those moments, I think you need to kind of dial things right back down to your world level. And my world level is that I've got a garden. You know, I'm, I'm lucky in that I live somewhere where I've got a really nice garden and I, I can grow food. And so I yeah. should be doing that. And we will be doing that. And, you know, certainly last summer, I mean, we had a self-sufficient fruit and veg wise from the beginning of the summer right through until kind of October, November. We need to sort ourselves out with the winter veg. We've not really nailed that. Although we did do winter salad leaves this year, which were really good. But yeah, I mean, you, you educate yourself, you learn, and then you think, well, how can I, how can I relate to this? How can I apply this to my world? Well, actually trying to think about it yeah. on a global scale or even a country scale is, is too much and it's too overwhelming. So I need to bring it right down to my little world. Yeah. And what I can do. Actually, yeah, we absolutely should be trying to be as self-sufficient yeah. as we possibly can. That's brilliant. I was at, I attended a seed swap on Sunday and I would listen to a talk that was um, by a woman who's part, I think she was part of the Freedom Seed Bank based in London and just talking about how, I mean, lots of things, but about the political aspects of how seed production is basically is controlled by four major corporations and how, how dangerous that is, like to have... Food production yeah. in the hands of four major corporations is terrifying. Um, and the benefits of saving seed, um, especially seed that is clearly viable in your local area, because after generations and generations of plants that they become really adapted to your local area, which I really, really love. And then she was also talking about how it's possible in the future, terrifyingly, that the food production may be reliant on seed banks to a certain extent. It may be a case of when we need to then share these yeah. in a broader community. And it's so good that there are people yeah. doing that. I mean, I just love to go because I like, I like free stuff. I like, <laughs> I like to try great <laughs> things. But um, but it's really interesting. I have a tiny growing space. But it's that's much more than previous. I've had years of like literally nothing. But I'm really interested in, in yeah, what you can grow in your area, what is suitable for your climate. And I mean, for yeah. me, I can't yeah. be in any way. So I'm just decided to talk about myself for a sec <laughs> no 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 it's re- it's really fascinating go on I don't have enough space to get anywhere close to 
sufficiency even for part of the year self-sufficiency for even part of the year but my goal is to have something growing my family can eat most of the year some kind of supplement that's that's going on and I think for me a large a large motivator for that was the pandemic it was going into Sainsbury's in Eastbourne where I used to live and there was nothing nothing in the fruit and veg section at all and that was like I mean, there was still some frozen stuff and tin stuff, but that was pretty terrifying to know that we're out with yeah. just weeks away from a lack of supply of fresh mm. fruit and vegetables. So that was that was a real motivator. Yeah, and I sure. wonder if there's other people. I know that lots of people took up gardening during during the lockdown, but I wonder is that something people are doing more of still? Is are some people really kind of caught that bug and they're and they're wanting to do more? I mean, I'm obsessed with like, because I've got some small space, like, I'm obsessed with like small space growing, right? There's always a section in the library that I go yeah. in and stuff. I mean, you're in a position where you have a larger space, but for anyone that is even interested in kind of starting to grow some food, what, what would you say was a, a good place to start? Oh, goodness. Um, well, as with all of this, just dive on in. Just, you know, don't, don't yeah. think you can't do it. Just dive on in. And understand that, that there's going to be some stuff that fails, but feel really good about yeah. the stuff that doesn't fail. Um, feel really good about the wins. Um, in terms of sort of what to grow, the, a really good starting point is stuff that... There, there, are, there are some interesting ways you can go with it. Um, there is, I can't remember what the dirty dozen are, but there's a, there's a dirty dozen is, uh, of fruit and veg, which are the, the fruit and veg that you would buy at the supermarket that uses the most oh. kind of pesticides and nasties. To, uh, to to get the yield. I'll find what they are and I'll put them in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, but it is stuff that you would love. I mean, it's strawberries, it's peaches, it's all that lovely summer fruit that you get your kids to eat because it's the one time of year that, that actually they don't mind eating it. But actually, it's got all this yucky stuff on it. Um, so I think I think you could look at that and think, right, I'm going to have a go at growing some strawberries. Strawberries are really easy. You can grow them in a pot. You don't need a lot of space. You're not going to get loads of strawberries but actually, just one or two strawberries is a beautiful thing. And you know that it's clean and you know that it hasn't had chemicals on it. And so that's nice and easy. The other thing is to think about what you eat lots of. So we eat lots of cucumber and tomatoes in the summer. So we grow lots of cucumbers and tomatoes. And uh, cucumbers are really, um, you can get a variety of cucumber that's kind of little, they're, they're kind of called pocket cucumbers. You know, the kids love them. I know my kids are older now, but, you know, they, they can literally snack on one of these cucumbers and they just keep on coming. And they, yeah. they, they keep on coming all summer. And they climb up as well, so they don't actually take that much ground space. Ex- exactly right. They climb up and they're abundant and they're easy to grow. You don't get many seeds um but you don't need many seeds you probably only need one maybe two plants we always get overrun with them because i can never bear to throw any plants away yeah. <laughs> um i'm in that re- in that regard i'm a terrible gardener i never do that thinning out thing because i can't bear yeah to it's throw really away. yeah it's really heartbreaking like how do i choose which one's the strongest <laughs> i know i know but yeah go, go for go for growing things have a go at growing things that you know you know you will consume lots of yeah um maybe don't worry about the aubergines and peppers just yet because they're harder to grow. But the other thing that's lovely about gardening, oh, well, it's lovely and it's a frustration, but ultimately ultimately, it's lovely, is the fact that, you know, we've been growing stuff for quite a few years now, and then obviously more so over the last two, three years. And we will think that we've nailed something. So the year before last, we grew loads of onions, and it was really easy. It was just so easy. We chucked them in the ground, they came up, we had loads of onions, they were delicious. Brilliant. Um, we didn't have to buy onions for absolutely months. 
tried to do the same last year. You know, we, we tried over and over again. And although we did get some, it was nothing like the year yeah. before. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, that, I, I don't know what the logic yeah. is to that. Actually, you know, I actually quite like the unpredictability of it all. And as yeah. long as it doesn't get you down to... Well, there's a the magic in that, isn't there? There is a magic in that. There's a magic in that. And, and it, I always feel it kind of puts me in my place. It reminds me that nature and climate um, are really important. And even though I might be doing what I think are all the right things, it can yeah. still trump me. Um, yeah. And it sort of keeps me, yeah, puts me in my place and... And there's, yeah, that, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, and of yeah. course, the other brilliant thing about growing is it just gets you outside. Yeah. Um, which is so important. So, okay, so let's, we've touched on it before, well, let's, let's get a bit more into clothing. So, mm. how has your relationship with clothing changed then since December 2019? It, it's, it's less important, but it's more important. To coincide with that first crap activist year, I did the not buying any new clothes thing. Not buying was that new. tough? I think it would have been, this is the thing, I think it would have been harder if it hadn't been the pandemic year. Yeah. I think if there'd been lots of things going on, weddings and events and, and you know, socialising, I think I would have found it a lot harder. But because it was a bit of a kind of joggers and pyjamas sort of year, um, I think I sort of got away with it. I've decluttered lots of clothes you know, those things that just lurk because one day you might be able to fit in them again. Um, I used to be terrible for hanging on to things in the hope that I'd at some point return to a size, whatever I used to be. And again, that's a kind of money thing because actually it's really easy with things like Vinted now to move things along and get some cash in your pocket. Were you selling some pieces? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. What have I sold just recently? I've sold three or four things just recently a toast skirt and some different bits and pieces um so that's good i've definitely slimmed down my wardrobe but also it's about well looking after what you've got being being a bit braver with wearing what you've got as well and sort of making a bit more effort to kind of dig deep and think actually no i haven't worn that for a little while but i am going to you know i'm going to wear it because actually it's important that i'm engage with what's in my yeah. wardrobes and drawers and that I get it on and I get it out and I make the most of what I've got. I don't cover clothes in the same way that I used to. Right. I used to, to really want things and actually I used to just go and buy things a lot. Old me, this is old yeah. me that I don't like. Uh, I see a nice pair of trainers or I see a nice pair of jeans or there's a nice yeah. jacket over there or this is the colour this season and I would never dream of doing that now. Right. If, if I do buying new I'm really mindful of where I'm buying it from I try and buy from British brands uh, I always make sure it's natural fiber I always check out the company in terms of its credentials and if I can't afford to buy it because it's not ticking those boxes you know I I go without in a way that I might not have done a few years ago interesting so it's almost like you've put not barriers but you've put some like gates between yourself and that purchase that there wasn't before yeah and it's interesting with two teenage daughters because I think it's been interesting watching them go through it with clothes. So they're at a really kind of key point in life in terms of sort of defining their own style and uh, expressing themselves through their clothes. And, it, you know, it is important that they are not necessarily looking on trend, but they're sort of fitting in. You know, they, they, they uh, I can't think of the right way of putting it without doing them a disservice by making them, it sound like my girls kind of toe the line because they don't. They're, they're very, very individual with how they dress. But... They are really mindful of where they shop. And, and I think it's really hard for them, actually, because a lot of the sustainable brands, 
teenagers are not their target audience. Yeah. It's much more kind of old duffers like me. Um, and I think it's quite hard. I think it's quite challenging for them to go and find streetwise cool stuff that, that is yeah. anywhere near kind of within budget, yeah. within what they might have to spend. But they are good. They've completely uh, embraced the whole kind of vintage secondhand thing. And there are some really great companies out, out there, um, Glass Onion and We Are Cow, that are taking old clothes and kind of reinventing them and repurposing them and recycling them and mashing it all up. So there are some really interesting things happening with fashion that wasn't happening sort of two or three years ago when we started. Yeah. But I can now see that that's coming through now. So I think the change is, is happening there. And it's interesting seeing how the girls sort of yeah. manage the challenge of sort of clothing. So are they taking the lead on kind of investigating what are more sustainable options? Or is that, it sounds like you're very involved as well. Well, for sure. I mean, my, my eldest scout, who's now away at uni, I mean, she she got really into that, really into kind of checking out brands and their credentials and how socially responsible they were, really into it. And um, she's much more, I will not, you know, I will not buy uh, unless it's, you know, ticking these boxes. She's quite militant about it. My younger, my youngest... Um, so 15 going on 16 she feels the pull of fashion uh, a bit more and there are things that she would love to have but she knows that they're probably not brilliant um, yeah. in terms of where they're made and what they're made of so how does she navigate that then we, we talk about it quite a lot I would never say no you can't do that yeah. um, that wouldn't be that that wouldn't be my style as a as a mum, but we do talk about it a lot. So there's, I happen to know there's a particular sweatshirt that she wants at the moment, and she's really deliberating over it. She got some money for Christmas. She's worked out that she could afford it, but she knows fundamentally it's problematic. So we've we've tried sort of looking at it from different ag- angles. So you know, what, what what's it made of, for example? So so this is this is quite a good good uh, starting point for sort of conversations around fashion, because actually if, if you are going to invest in it and where it loads and it's made from a natural fibre. It doesn't make it right, but it makes it perhaps better yeah. if you know you're going to wear it loads. Yeah. If it's a piece that you're wanting to buy just to wear to a couple of parties to have the cachet of saying, I've got this top, then that's not great. That's not you bearing responsibility of that purchase. So these are the kind of conversations that we have. Um, but it's tricky, and I get that it's tricky for her. And, you know, she's got that wrestle going on in her yeah. head. And But she needs to have that wrestle. You know, she need, it's important that she yeah. has it. Is she having these conversations with her friends? Yes, yeah, she is. She is having the conversations with her, her, with her friends about it. Um, and she's got a couple of friends who are kind of quite on board with it and quite in the know. So they'll talk very dismissively about H&M um, and the greenwashing. She had a, I, I think he's since left, but she had a brilliant um, geography teacher at school who showed them the Primark video, you know, in the factory. Rana Plaza. Oh, my God. Um, he, he showed them a documentary um, about it and as part of their geography lesson. And uh, Sonny knew all about it because we talked about it. And it was a massive eye-opener for all of her friends. And so that's rippled along as well. That's fantastic. Yeah, really fantastic, really fantastic. And it is there. This is this is what I feel, you know, one of the reasons why I feel so strongly. I think all this stuff, is, it's in our young people's heads. And so 
as parents, we shouldn't shy away from it or think that we can't support them through it. Yeah, and that's what I try and do with the girls, really. I love it. So just those constant conversations and age-appropriate conversations if you've got younger kids, yeah. And also, it's not something that you need to have a degree in to feel that you can talk about. Because I think some people no. are like, oh, I don't know all the facts and figures. I just think that's probably bad, but I'm not sure. Maybe I shouldn't talk about it. It's like... Yeah, but you've got feelings and you've got impulses and you've read some stuff. And, exactly. And it's, just, it's enough to, to start having important conversations. Exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. And also I think the other thing with, with kind of talking to not just my kids, but um, talking to wider friends and family, you were asking about sort of friends and family and how they sort of responded to some of the changes that we've made and have they been positive or negative about it. And one of the things that I've definitely learned is that I, I would never try and talk to somebody else about about what they are or they aren't doing what I found is is a much more constructive way of having conversations around some of this more challenging difficult stuff is to just talk about what I'm doing so we had a, a Christmas um so it would have been the first Christmas after we started the crap activist thing I can remember feeling really nervous about talking to a wider family about Christmas and not just buying loads of shit for the sake of it. You know, can we be really mindful about kind of presents and worrying about how I would do that? Because actually I know that, for example, my mum at that time, she got a great deal of pleasure out of buying the girls loads of tat, you know? So how do I address that? And really, really worrying about it, really stressing about how to have that, that difficult conversation. And in the end... We made it, or I made it, about saying to my family, well, this is what we're going to do this Christmas. And they all kind of took the mickey a little bit. That particular Christmas, we we made all our gifts. <laughs> but, you know, this is what you're going to get this year, guys, because this is what we're doing now. Everyone laughed a little bit about it. But it sort of set a tone, and it didn't make anybody feel bad. Yeah, do you know absolutely. What I mean? And it didn't mean I had to have a really overt, difficult yeah. conversation uh, about it, because it was just sort of saying, well, this is what we're going to yeah. do. So, last thing. We have yeah. to at least mention sewing. <laughs> yes. Um, I know you don't class yourself as a sewer particularly, but I know you're not exactly a stranger to a needle and thread. So what what role, if any, does sewing play in your life, including mending at the moment? It, it's, it is a, it's primarily mending, you know, repairing um, and, and sort of trying to give things longevity by sewing up holes and sewing back on buttons and doing some dreadful darning. Oh, my darning is awful. So there's a lot of that that goes on. I really want to do more sewing. It's definitely on my radar. I made some pyjama bottoms last year. I made some for me and I made some for Sunny. And it took me ages, Zoe. But the sense of triumph that I yeah. felt at creating these pyjama bottoms, which actually are really ill-fitting, but it doesn't matter. It, it was just wonderful. It, it, was a, it was a wonderful thing. It's definitely something I want to do more of. We, we made, um, on that homemade Christmas, we made uh, tote bags for everybody. Um, and again, took ages. They weren't very good. But it didn't matter because actually they were yeah. homemade and it was using fabric that we had kicking around. It's there and I know it's important. And I see what you do and it's always oh. inspiring and it always makes me think, oh, I need to dust off the sewing machine. I have got a sewing machine and get it out and, and crack on with that. So I will get to it at some point. I, I'm very much the first to say I don't think sewing is a particularly sustainable activity. I don't think that making your own clothes is necessarily a particularly sustainable way to clothe yourself, for example. So I'm, I'm definitely not thinking like, yeah, everyone should get into sewing. But, um, yeah. but using sewing skills to mend, I do think is a really really valuable 
a valuable way to yeah. to keep your things in use for longer, keep your costs down, don't have to replace things so much, keep things out of landfill. And uh, you also made some really cool cleaning cloths, and you did almost like a little tutorial as well. I thought that was wonderful. Oh yes, well that that's that's a kind of rolling thing. And actually, I've made those. Um, they're they're a really nice gift to give someone. So I've made at different points packs of those to give to friends instead of buying kitchen towels. And um, so so yeah, things like that. That that's kind of where my school level Brilliant. is at. Sewing squares. I can do. Um, and yeah, I can knock those out till the cows come home. So where can people find you and follow your genius? Well, you can follow me on Instagram. I don't post every day. People will be relieved to know anymore. But um, but I try and chuck up a couple of things each week. And it's just our lives and kind of what we're doing. I try and be honest about the stuff that's going well and the stuff that isn't going well. And yes, you can find me at the Crap Activist on Instagram. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. That's been really great. Thank you very much. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and are left feeling inspired. For more info about the podcast, including show notes for this and every episode, head to checkyourthread.com. I'd love to hear from you. So if you have any comments, questions or ideas for future episodes, please get in touch by emailing zoe at checkyourthread.com or find me on Instagram at checkyourthread. Massive thanks to Patrick Potter for production support, to Sylvia Seller for the awesome logo design and to Simon at Palm Skin Productions for the music. This ad-free podcast would not be possible without listener support. So if you feel you are able, please consider signing up to the Check Your Thread Patreon. For the equivalent of buying me a coffee each month, you'll be making it possible to continue producing regular episodes. Links can be found in the show notes and on the website checkyourthread.com. I hope you'll listen again next week. Until then, take care. Bye.